This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome to another episode of the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. This is Michael Levitt, and I have Carl Gold with me today. Carl is a business growth expert, an author, and a serial entrepreneur. His career started accidentally when he broke his leg and dropped out of accounting and finance. Now, that's my original career, and believe me, there were many days where I wanted to do the same thing, but I didn't break my leg, uh, thankfully. He went from that to launching three multi-million dollar businesses before age 40. Carl, welcome to the show. Hey, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm trying to connect the dots between a broken leg and getting out of accounting class. I mean, there's, there's, easy, <laughs> there's easier ways to do that. It's called just drop the class and you know, switch over to marketing or something. But um, I mean, the broken leg analogy, what, what happened there? I'm, a, I'm such a drama king. I will go to any length just to get, you know, instead of just asking for a whole pass, I've got to, you know, break my leg. Um, yeah, it was just, it was really wild. I, uh, was, I was in my second year and I, it was a non-contact injury, but I was, my knee just, I planted my knee in a muddy surface turned while I was playing a football game and, and it just kind of exploded on me. And, uh, yeah, a lot went wrong on that day, but, um, and, and I did, have, I ended up leaving school because of the injury, but, um, uh, it, 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 you know what, it probably did me a favor in some ways in that it propelled me more towards my entrepreneurial career which is where I belonged in the first place. It's funny because a lot of people that are entrepreneurs don't discover that they actually are until later on. So that broken leg, like you said, was uh, a blessing in disguise because it put you in the space where you needed to be. And, you know, being able to launch, you know, three multi-million dollar organizations before 40 is uh, quite an accomplishment. Tell us a little bit about that journey. You know, I know you started off in kind of the landscaping side of things and did some other stuff, but walk us through how that looked and, you know, how, you know, how you took advantage of opportunities as, as they came up or, and as many entrepreneurs do, we, we create our own opportunities. So I'd love to hear the story about this. Sure. Yeah. I mean, when I first left, um, when I first left school and I started in my landscaping business, um, the overwhelming feedback I got from my customers as the reason why I was awarded the contract was they kept saying to me, well, you were the guy that showed up and I, you know, and I was 18 years old. So I'm like, what? Like, you know, like uh, I thought they were kidding with me. Like, you know, I'm, I'm an 18 year old, 19 year old kid. I'm, you know, doing commercial work, uh, residential work with people 10, 20 years my senior. And I thought they were kidding to some degree. I'm like, that can't be what it is. But I kept hearing it over and over again. And what the lesson I took from that was, wait a minute, I'm out hustling the competitor. I'm out hustling these other people. They are, uh, I, I'm getting a phone call, say, hey, you know, I'm interested in getting landscaping work done, could somebody come out and take a look? And I thought, wait a minute, feedback I'm getting is, is I'm showing up. What if not only did I show up, but what if I showed up quicker? What if I got there quicker? What if I gave the proposal quicker? What if I just responded so much faster? Because that was the feedback I was getting. It was, 
you know, you, you contractors, you're not responsive or I never hear back from you. So I remember going out and buying an estimating kit right then and there um, where I was able to do on-the-spot design, not just estimate, and estimate's easy enough, but on-the-spot design. And I was, doing, I was doing design work for certain kind of projects right then and there and going, you know, sitting in my truck and coming back in 45 minutes later saying, hey, I'm ready to talk about this. And they'd be like, what? Really? And I said, well, you said you wanted to move quick. So... I learned the I learned the art of hustling and just beating that person to the punch and I found that it was less about my qualifications at times and more about the fact that I was just Johnny on the spot for them. It, it's funny and it seems like it would be common sense but you know the story you've shared you hear about it a lot where there's so many people that just don't turn things around and it doesn't have to be instantaneous, but at right. least be responsive, you know, within a day or two, or at least let the client know, okay, I will get the quote to you by end of day Thursday. Okay, so then that, that sets the expectation of when they're going to receive it. Now, of course, if someone else comes in and turns it around quicker, then yeah, they may take it, but they may also go, you know what, I'll wait till Thursday to see what that other quote says, and then we'll, we'll compare. But the fact that you came in there and you wowed everybody uh, with yeah. with everything, you know that that gives the automatic no like and trust factor. It just it fast forwards all of that to the point where okay, I really like this guy, and it looks like he's got everything going for him and you know, doing some quality work. And let's go ahead and, and use him as as you know, the service that we need. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, what what I've come to learn and the feedback I've gotten over the years, because I've been in business now for 33 years. And um, so the, the people have said to me oftentimes, Carl, you seem as excited to do the work for me as we are about having it. And I like that. And I think, you know, if you're Johnny on the spot and you're or, or Joni on the spot and you're there in an hour or you tell them you'll be back in two days and you meet your commitment. I think there is a part of it where the person who is hiring you feels your enthusiasm and passion for wanting to serve them. And I, and I still have that, you know, I still have that, um, that passion and enthusiasm today because I love what I do and I like the people that I do it for. Um, so I do, I get all, I get all pumped up for getting another chance to do work with people, um, uh, you know, and helping them out. So I think if you share that enthusiasm, that, that, I don't care what kind of work you do, that still plays a role. Yeah. And the energy is contagious and they're like, wow, because a lot of people see that and they want that. They want that enthusiasm. You know, they want to be excited about whatever service or product you're offering, and you're coming in, and that's a great analogy that you shared, where it's like you're more excited than I am about buying this. And you're just like, it's, and, and you see that, and, you're, and it's, just, it's just a natural, wow, I want that. I want it. And it just makes things so much easier because you know, we've all bought things and bought services and, and whatnot, and it's you know, been you know, about as exciting as a warm glass of milk. And yeah. at the end of the day, we're like, okay, well, did I get what I wanted to buy? Yes. Was it good? Yes. And you don't think about it. But a memorable experience about working with someone like you with that energy and, you know, that extra 
drive to, you know, really push forward that you strongly believe in what you're selling and what you're serving with. I mean, you, and that goes a long way because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they have a great idea. You know, they've launched their own business. They want uh, to do well. Um, but do they truly love, you know, the service of the product that they're offering? Is this something that really motivates them every morning they get up and, you know, they get up early because I can't sleep because I'm just so excited to get started on this day and I want to do this and this. I mean, if you've got that going for you, then you, you, you're on the right track for the right service. If, if you're pouring yourself out of bed going, oh, okay, I got to do five sales calls today or whatever the case may be, then you might need to you know, rethink what you're doing or at least reconnect with you know, the passion and the purpose of what you're trying to do. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I remember I bought a car, it was 2008, and I, my car was in an accident. It was just parked on the side of the road door by a construction site and a truck just like blew, you know, just waffled it. Um, so I, I, my car gets towed to the body shop and the body shop is, is connected to a Dodge dealership. And so as soon as I bought it in, the, the, the uh, body shop guy looked at it and he says, Carl, it's totaled. And I said, yeah, but you haven't even, it's totaled. I'm telling you right now, it's totaled. He goes, go shopping because you're going to need, you know, he said, how long does the re- the, your insurance give you a rental car? I said, I think a month. All right, you got 30 days, go find a car. And so I'm walking through the Dodge dealership on my way out because that was kind of the easiest way to walk. And I'm like kind of looking around at some cars and some guy says, you know, what happened? I told him the story and he says, what are you interested in? And I said, well, I live in New Jersey and I live in the mountain region. So I wanted a sports car. But I have three kids, so I need three seatbelts in the back, but it's got to be all-wheel drive. And he says to me, have you ever considered a Dodge Charger? And he had this big smile on his face, and I said, I don't, know, I don't want to drive a cop car. And he goes, and he took the keys. He had this big ear-to-ear grin on his face, took the keys, tossed them at me, and says, you will when you drive it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, he seemed convinced that I would like this car. So I got in, I took it for a ride. I came back. I'm like, I'm in. That thing was, that thing was a beast. It was great to drive. It was fun. And it, and it ticked all the other boxes of what I needed in a car. And I drove that car for 10 years. I had I just, that car has 254,000 miles on it and I still have it, you know? Um, but that guy was, he was, he was so convinced I needed to drive the car. I'm like, no, all right, right on. Let me take it for a ride. And um, he wanted me right over. And that's a great analogy because oftentimes, you know, if let's say you're a coach, for example, and a client comes to you and you, you ask them, okay, what's going on? You know, what are the challenges you're facing and whatnot? And they will share it, but oftentimes they, you know, the client doesn't really fully understand what they really need. You needed that Dodge. You didn't think you did. You thought, well, you know, I need a vehicle with the, the seats and everything and all-wheel drive. And he said, mm, you want this. And, right. and you, you jumped into it and you went, you're right. I need this. And, and there, <laughs> there you go. And look, yeah. look you've had a car for uh, you know, over a decade. And, yeah. over, over and I've, a- I've enjoyed it. Yeah. And, but if you told me I was going to drive that car, I would have told you no way. Nah, nah, I don't, I don't sell. But after I drove it, I was like, nah, guys got a point, <laughs> you know? So it was, it was a great experience. Oh, obviously. So, you know, the books that you've written, you know, the, you know, the blueprint for success and the other books, 
the writing process, and I've written myself, is always a, an interesting endeavor because you know everything that I've ever written has been different as far as the time it took um, and the research I did for it and all of these other things. So in, in these books that you've done, you know, is there anything that jumps out of you that varies between each, each book that uh, surprised you as an author? Well, the, the, the process we, the process that I use is a kind of a talk your book process where I, I interview, I am, I am interviewed or I interview somebody and the process starts out as mostly a dialogue. And then from there, when we're writing the book, we'll fill in the case studies and the stories and graphs and that sort of thing. But um, the in the last couple books, Biz Dev Done Right, we have a new book out called Anatomy of a Comeback. It's um, I realize what jumps out at me is is that there's no one theme or no one answer for any given time, right? Like. The economy is high right now, you know, moving fast, the stock market's high. There's not one answer. And there are a lot of companies and industries that are still struggling, even though the economy is doing well. You know, manufacturing, um, retail, there are always, there are always industries that, you know, when things are good, other industries aren't doing so good. When certain, you know, people at certain ages are doing good, certain people at certain ages aren't doing so well. And it, it real doing a book really grounds me because at any given time I can find plenty of examples of abundance and prosperity and people doing well. And I can always find times and examples that people are struggling. You know, last week Sears, uh, you know, uh, went into bankruptcy and if you don't follow, if you haven't followed the story of Sears, you might say, Oh, what's the big deal? Well, Sears was Amazon and Walmart put together for a long time. Yes. They were Amazon and Walmart before Amazon and Walmart were Amazon and Walmart, you know, and they were a game changing company, but they, you know, they lost their way and they didn't pivot with the times and, and, you know, it, it caught up with them, but you know, Amazon and Walmart doing great. How could Sears not be doing well at the same time? That's to me just unheard of. But yet here we are. Yeah, we see cases like that, and you know, I've you know shopped at Sears forever, and you know, it was literally five minutes from where I grew up. You know, have memories as a child walking through the store, and then of course the Wish Book. You know, was my you know end of year. Okay, mom and dad, I want all of these things. Yeah, you know, it probably just would have been easier if I just would have circled the you know the whole book and just said you know pick something. But but yeah, I agree with you. We're in this time where things are going well for many many industries. You could still have an organization like Sears that you know is unfortunately through a variety of different choices and events and circumstances that they're not you've yeah. been watching them, you know, with, with them. And, you know, when they merged with Kmart years ago and that was a slow, slow, painful death for, for many of those stores as well. It, it, it leaves a void in a way. And I, I think for businesses, they have to be at least aware of while things are going really good right now for you, that doesn't mean that they always will. You're going to have to adjust accordingly based on what what your clients want what the market is generating and a variety of other things 
Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, in, internally, a friend of mine worked for Amazon years ago, especially when they were really starting to make their push. And Amazon has an internal mantra, and they say that they want to be the cow, the catalog of the world, the cow. And, if, and for those of us that remember Sears back in the old days, they were the catalog of the world. They cataloged everything. They had everything. And, um, you know, Amazon's just, they're doing it better right now. And they have, they are meeting the needs of today's shopper in a way that unfortunately Sears just didn't do it. They used to, but they don't anymore. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, they could have, but they didn't, which is unfortunate. Yeah, it is. You know, it's very sad because I know a lot of people that, you know, worked there for years and, um, you know, friends and you know, colleagues and, and whatnot. So, yeah, it's always sad to see an institution. And that's, I, you know, I look at Sears as, as an institution. It's sad to, that, that they've gone. Kind of a, not a segue per se, but, you know, this little similar to you know, the conversation we've been having about Sears is, you know, what are some of the top mistakes that you see entrepreneurs make in their business choices? Um, well, you know, one of the, one of the things that is very common is, you know, from right from the get go. And as, as a matter of fact, I just had this experience again today with a group is they get too emotionally attached to the way that they are servicing the customer and in specific their pricing strategy, right? So, over the years of working with their clients, they start to think, well, let's keep our prices low. Let's not change them all that much because we're trying to maintain what we have. And they almost go into loss prevention as opposed to a more dynamic relationship with their clients. And almost to a company, with very few exceptions, when we first meet them and we start, first start working with them, we find that they are vastly underpricing their most valuable products and services to their top customers. Um, you know, if you, if you just take on this uh, question for a second, all the listeners, think about your revenue stream and or, or one, one of the main ways that you earn your money. And if you were to raise your prices 1%, so if you charge 3% now, you're charging 3.03%. Or if you charge $100 an hour, you're charging 101 if you were to raise it just 1%, what percentage of your customer base would abandon you and leave you? They would say, oh, no, I got to go. You had me at 100, but 101, I'm out of here. And if the answer is zero or very small, that means your clients love you for something other than the utility of your price of your product or service. And if, the, and if the, you have zero attrition, that, would, that means they're willing to pay more but you're not charging them for that. In other words, you're undervaluing your intangibles and you're taking them for granted and maybe the clients for granted. And that's a very dangerous place to be in business. Um, that's one of the first mistakes we see. And, you know, because pricing, uh, Michael, is one of the top ways that you communicate with your clientele. You know, based, if you have a lot of options, then you're the options company. If you, if you are a... Um, uh, if you are a luxury, if you're a high price, then you're a luxury brand. If you're a dis, if you're a low price, you're a discount brand. But you're telling your clients what you are through your pricing, and if you're not, if you're not being dynamic with them and giving them options, and not pricing your intangibles properly, then you might be taking the very clients, those clients, for granted, and that's very dangerous. 
Yeah, it's a huge thing. And you know, I talk with a lot of entrepreneurs and you know, a handful of coaches that I've had, they've all said the same thing. You know, when you price your product or service, you're, you're charging too little. You need to raise your rates. And it's, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, a lot of them, you know, the, the focus on it was, you know, for many entrepreneurs, you know, they want to get out of the trading their time for money type of equation, uh, which depending on what their product and services might be easier than, than other situations. But when you're not um, charging enough, um, then basically what you're going to run into is a situation at the time when you need to raise your rates, you may have to raise them at a rate where, yeah, you will start losing clients because the jump is, is so traumatic and it, it's, you got to be really, really focusing on that and with understanding that it's important for you to be able to, um, you know, deliver the services, you know, you, you want, you want your clients to get the best value. Um, and they, they are, you know, no matter what you charge, I, I honestly feel for the, you know, the successful organizations, clients are still getting a bargain no matter what they're paying, uh, because they're getting all the experiences and, uh, skills that you bring to the table, uh, above and beyond, you know, what you're helping the client with. Yeah, it's and you know the 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 depth of the relationship with the client is very important. The client wants to go deep with you. You need to be prepared to go as deep as possible, meaning giving them maximum attention and in almost all cases the client wants to buy more from you. They want to be more engaged with you. They want to um uh you know, they want to experience more of your products and services. It's, and you have to make sure that you're ready for that depth of relationship. You know, so many people have been to Disney World. You go to Disney World, and while we might all complain about all the souvenirs and merchandise we can buy, could you imagine going to Disney World and them not having it? Could yeah, you imagine not being able to buy the Disney? You'd complain. You would say, wait a minute, where, I can't buy the T-shirt. Where's, where's the merchandise shop? I can't believe they didn't do that. You know, um, so we definitely have to um, we definitely have to bear that in mind with our clientele, um, and and really really nurturing that relationship with them. So, for entrepreneurs, what's a good what's some good advice from you on how they can be different than all the other competition out there? Because especially now with you know social media and the ability to uh, you know put yourself out there in your business. Uh, to find clients all over the globe, um, it's noisy. So, you know, what are some things that you recommend to help them differentiate from from the competition? Yeah. So, one of the things that we like to see companies do is have a look at what are the top complaints in the industry right now. What are you know what are people saying through customer reviews or maybe objections that they might be giving you on the. Uh, um, objections that they're giving you on on um, uh, the sales process or during it or or what are you hearing when you sign a customer when they say oh you do this so much better than you know the other people we were talking to um, right now because of the uncertainty that's in the market as, as fast as the market's moving there's still uncertainty in it um, people want to know that you have you know what's top of mind as far as the complaints and if you can leverage those into your business plan and, and uh, guarantee, like find out what's on their mind and then guarantee that that won't happen to them. You know, so 
if there's, if, if, um, a complaint about your industry is, you know, people aren't very responsive or I call and I get a, you know, I have to talk to a machine. Well, can you offer them the opportunity to talk to a live human or live customer service tech? You know, so what I would do is I would look at what, if I can answer these three questions about my clientele, then I'm probably differentiating myself. And first question is, what keeps my client up at night worrying? What is on their mind? What keeps them up at night? How, you know, uh, how is it that they're so stressed out and what are they stressed out about? Number two, what does my customer feel guilty about, get grief for, or get yelled at for at the end of the workday when they arrive home? And can I solve or help alleviate that problem? Okay. And then the third one is what's going on in their life or business right now that makes hiring me or working me with me right now a must. Now, that might be the more, most important of all of them because if you really think about that question, what, you know, so maybe you sell a product to say men and, you know, what might have happened in their life? Well, they may have just turned 40 or 50 and all of a sudden this is an urgency. I remember a couple of years ago, my son was looking into colleges. I could not consume enough information, Michael, about uh, going, sending your kids to college. That's what happened in my life. My kid turned a senior in high school. That's, you know, junior, finishing his junior year, going into senior. That's the time when you're really applying, looking into, you know, that's when it's hot and heavy. I was a consumer of that information, but you know what? He's in school now. Now my daughter, my youngest daughter is in seventh grade. I'm thinking about high school. I'm not consuming college preparation information. I'm looking at high school preparation information right now. So the timing is important. You know, you want to differentiate yourself, find out what's going on in their life right now and solve their immediate problem. And then you can integrate them into your other longer term solutions. Now that's great stuff. And yeah, knowing where their pressure points are now and even going back to, you know, the, the Dodge situation at, at the top of the show, um, be, being able to see, what maybe they aren't seeing just in the conversations that you're having with them can really help shed some light to, you know, get that client, that, that first feeling of, of I am so happy that I hired Carl that uh, now things have completely changed. I go home and I don't have that guilt feeling because I put in yet another 18 hour day, or I forgot that today was, you know, our daughter's, you know, party or whatever, and all of these things that, that happen to many of us, um, and it gets us in a little bit of heat. So, you know, this, this is, you know, not to gender this a little bit, but I always tell, you know, all my guy friends, you know, especially when they're getting into new relationships and marriage and all that, I always tell them, and, you know, don't, don't be mad at me, people, for saying this, is make sure that you feel comfortable sleeping on the couch when you buy the couch, because there's a good chance one time or another, you're going to end up on it. So just you know, <laughs> pick, pick the right furniture, you know, so it makes, yeah. it, makes it important. I got one, I guess one final question for you. Um, in business and, you know, I'm, I'm chatting to you from Toronto. So um, we actually had a little bit of the white stuff in the Northern part of the city earlier this morning. So I'm not overly pleased about that, but it, it, 
that's the nature of the beast when you live in, in the north. But um, you know, each organization um, has you know different seasons as far as their work. And winter is always you know compared to you know that's when things slow down and you don't get to do as much, and you know the weather's not great, and maybe business sales aren't as great. You know, what's some suggestions for entrepreneurs, especially in the early days? You know, what what can they do um, to survive their winter so their organization will will stick around long term? Yeah, great, great question. So first thing that comes to mind when I hear something like that is I start to think of cash flow management. So when it's busy, let's say you have a couple of slow months, say two months out of the year that are slow. During the course of the year, I'm going to pay 1.1% of my bills. I'm not going to, so if I owe $100 to the phone company, I'm going to pay 110 and, or I'm going to pay a hundred dollars. I'm going to put $10 off to the side. If I've, if, we, if I've got my electric bill and it's 50 bucks, I'm going to send in 55 so that in the month of December, I've got a credit of, you know, whatever, what those two months are, or I've got the cash and I, in an account and I'll, I'll send a, uh, I'll send a payment, you know, to them, but I'm going to take cash from the busy time and I'm going to pay my fixed expenses. So when it comes to the slow time, any work you get, you'll only have variable costs. You won't have fixed costs. So that's one way to survive it. The other way that you could do it is you can look at memberships or subscription or recurring revenue model for your business that will, um, you know, that will allow the client services or even spread the payments out over the slower months. Um, so just because you provide services during certain times of the year doesn't mean people can't be paying you all through the year. Okay. So there's a couple of different strategies you could do with your billing. Um, I remember when I had my landscaping company, we had 32, we had 32 weeks of cutting in the season, but I used to just charge a monthly fee, you know? So in the slower months I was getting something. Um, in the busy months, I was busy anyway. There was money coming in from a variety of places. And then um, what I would do is I would just receive my landscape, you know, some of my um, monthly money in the slow months and it was like found money. So that's another thing you can look at. Number of strategies, but I would start with cash flow management. Won't seem so bad in the slow months. Yeah, it's a great, great reminder for all of us because, you know, we, we have those busy seasons and we're like, you know, wow, we're, we're rolling in it. You know, we're going to, you know, freedom, freedom 45 type of deal as far as getting out there. <laughs> I'm rich. Yeah, then, then winter hits and you're looking. Uh, maybe, I'm poor. Yeah, maybe it's Freedom 145, but uh, we'll yeah. get there another day. So, so Carl, I've enjoyed our conversation today. What, where can our listeners find out more about you and, and some of the things that you're doing? Oh, super. Yeah, so um, if you go to carlgould.com, that's the gateway to all the things that I do, my speaking, um, my speaking, my coaching, the consulting work that we do. Uh, any of the books that we have. And we have a special uh, gift for your guests. Uh, any, sorry, any of your listeners. Anyone who's listening, if you would like to um, take advantage of it, we do something we call the business analysis. It's a free consultation, up to two hours, and we will look at uh, your business and uh, do walk you through this four-page process. And when we're done, we'll give you five ways to grow your business. So if you'd like to take us up on the strategy session and the business analysis, by all means, do that and be happy to provide it for your listeners. 
you know, thank you for offering all of that. And listeners, I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. So, uh, Carl, I appreciate you and everything you're doing. And thank you so much for the conversation today. I'm glad that uh, we were able to connect today and uh, continued success to you and, and all the best. And, uh, you know, we'll be anxiously waiting to see, you know, what the next vehicle you go in to buy and then you end up with something different. Uh, we'll, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thanks again for being on the show today. You got it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Michael. My pleasure. And until next time, everybody, be well. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.